0: we haven't even talked about that, but you know, didn't um you know, Dory and I did you I don't know if you listened to Dory yes, I and I did, discussion. I did. Yeah, so I, I was I was yeah, we need to talk that. about that sometime too, actually, oh, Jeff. I, I need to have you back on just to talk about what you're doing with with those kids. Um yeah, so actually you're not off the hook yet. I'll probably uh, circle back <laughs> with you. Well well <laughs> you, you know talk about that. Uh, yeah. I, I would
1: um yeah, I'd welcome that opportunity because I think that that's, um, you know, that's so needed. And, uh, um, you know, boy, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really, it's humbling. I was, uh, my very first class, um, you know, uh, I, I I'm not a teacher. I didn't play one on TV. I didn't sleep at Holiday and Express last night. So, you know. <laughs> most of the stuff in the, in the material I took, I I went to the John Maxwell course and I took one course online. Then I went to the John Maxwell course and became certified. And uh, then I, I looked and outlined several books and, you know, from different authors on different leadership things and went back to my air war college stuff uh, when I was in the military. And, and that's a geopolitical course, but it's an awful lot of leadership stuff in there. And I outlined uh, Lincoln on leadership. And, and so I took pieces from all these things and, I stood before the class and I said, what the heck am I doing here? Holy smokes. I am way, way, way out of my league. But anyway, I had a, a positive attitude and I'd stand out in front of the hallway, uh, out in front of the classes, the students were filing in and they'd go, good morning. And you know, I'd say, how are you doing? They said, good. You know, how are you doing? I'd say to every one of them, every day is a holiday, every meal is a feast. So at the end of the class, I uh, gave him a half sheet of paper. The the final exercise in the class was the history of your future. And and that is, um, you know, you you pretend you're 10 years older. uh, You uh, come back to visit your house in present day. You knock on the door and you answer the door and you get to talk to you 10 years from now. So the very first day, they set up their life goals. There, there, you know, they give me an idea. You know, list four or five life goals, list four or five career goals, whatever it is. Take your moonshot. Do you moonshot thinking? So I introduced that concept. And uh, so this one girl um, at the end, uh, you know, she ended up wanting to be a, a, you know, clinical psychologist and help people and and stuff. And and this is one of the girls. You know, every day's a holiday, every meal's a feast. I'd say that to her every day. So she started off her critique saying, you know, I've been in some of these leadership things before, and they've all sucked.
2: Uh, and, uh, and, and then, um, I, uh, ran into you and that's kind of really how she put it. Then I ran into you and I said, let me tell you about myself. Um, both of my parents are drug addicts and, um, you are the first person to guide me in a direction that I think I could lead myself out of this mess. Wow. 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 So when you when you see stuff like that, you know,
1: first of all, I had no idea that people who had teenagers, the parents would both be drug addicts. I mean, that that is so far off my radar screen and probably off Chris Wolf's radar screen, yeah. knowing that you have a loving, caring wife and a good dad and a good mom and your whole family is just, you know, good outstanding citizens and you know nothing about that other world. And, uh, you know, one girl told me that, um it, you know, this, uh, she said, um, I've had a terrible senior year. I hate myself. Um, and I certainly wasn't going to go to college until I had an opportunity to visit with you and and to listen to the, some of the words you said. And at first, I thought you were a joke, and then your passion and your enthusiasm for this won me over. And I'm going to sign up for in Delaware. We call it the Seed Program, and that is where if your grades are okay, don't even have to be good; they got to be okay. You can be a C plus student and get two years of community college for free. And so she's you know currently in her second year of community college, and uh, you know stuff like that. And um, you just you just say. Oh my, there is such a need here for this, that it is, yeah. and, I, and it's not, I don't think it's me. I think it's, it's the stunning reality that these kids are hungry for something to yeah. uplift them, to give them a chance, to give them a shot, to say, look, you know, you you, you can do this. And, um, that's what I'm finding. And, and you know, that's why I, uh, I, I go back to my third year and, uh, you know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing on my life.
0: Welcome to the Wolf Admin Podcast. You just heard Dr. Jeff Halofsky and I discussing the impact that his leadership work has had on his community. Our larger discussion today is on the impact he's had on ACO relationships in his region and what we can learn to apply that locally for our practices. Jeff practices in Delaware and he is retired from the Air Force Reserves as a Colonel and Commander of the 512th Aerospace Medicine Squadron. He's a past president of the Delaware Board of Optometry and a past president of the Delaware Optometric Association. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, if you want to get the most current episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. Jeff, I, I really appreciate that that you're taking the time out of your of your busy schedule to to join me on this on this discussion. And um, as I, as we were talking kind of before we um, went live on this recording, um, you know I, I've. We've been talking to a lot of other people who have um, been able to kind of use some of the big data that we've been collecting from a vision source standpoint to move the needle on other uh, health insurance contracts and payers within their communities. So that's really where I, where I want to start. But then you or maybe that's where I really want to get to. But you emailed me a, a really interesting article today that I think it would probably be worthwhile sort of covering some of those topics. And, and I think it's something that's probably on a lot of our members' minds right now is, you know, what do we do with the advent of different telehealth services and remote services? So in general, um, you know, the, the article that you sent me today, I'll put a, a, a link in the, in the notes on the um, podcast. But the article you sent me today was fire your doctor. Is that correct? Yes, it's time to fire yeah. your doctor. That's right. So just to kind of explain to our listeners the premise of that of that article and and then we can discuss kind of where we go from here and the attitudes that are taking place.
2: Well,
1: in in my opinion, um, you know, change is very disruptive to most people and those who are most resilient to change will most likely um, benefit uh, from the changes and uh, be able to uh, survive and thrive. So the article uh, was written by a guy by the name of Andy Kessler, uh, Wall Street Journal, um, and uh, mm-hmm. and he basically said that um, you know he's an independent contractor and and uh, you know he writes a few articles and he does some other things and and um, you know mm-hmm. so he's pretty self sufficient. And he's kind of tired of of, uh, you know, going here and there to different medical providers and and doing the things that tradition has told him that he must do. And um, and so he's kind of rebelling. Um, and so he's found ways to uh, use technology to provide much of his health care, except for maybe specialty visits. And and there are now so many uh apps, if you will, and so many devices that have uh, miniaturized and democratized, mm-hmm. if you will, healthcare, that uh, it's going to be very interesting um, to, uh, to, to watch this all happen. And I think that, um, you know, we have our heads buried in the sand if we think that that's not going to happen to optometry. Um, because uh, we know it is, and if you looked at the other link I shared with you later this afternoon, I don't know if you had a chance to catch that or I not, did. but that is actually happening in optometry with uh, with some things that franchises that are opening opening up and are using um, uh, doctors uh, in a centralized location to provide uh, you know diagnosis and management of patients that are um, seen by technicians and uh, and technology so you know these are these are things that are uh, occurring um, now and and I think that um, you know we need to uh, have uh, have leadership in this area so Um, You know, I'm pretty confident that, uh, you know, Jim Greenwood and and, uh, Paul Williams and um, even though Bobby Christensen has taken a a step back role as he announced at the administrators meeting, uh, I think that these people have been on the on the cutting edge, the tip of the spear, if you will, for a number of years. And um, and they're going to, uh, you know, um, I think, uh, uh, research and and find ways to make this work uh, in some way for vision source doctors
0: so jeff let me let me take a little bit of a step back when um, when you uh, think about the implications of some of this technology, I think there's a couple questions that that you know consumers should probably ask, but you know i I guess we think about it a little differently. So the first question I have is when he was writing in that article, he talked about his bluetooth um, blood pressure cuff and and mm-hmm. how that was going to send data uh, already that he could just keep recording and his sleep patterns, et cetera, et cetera. The first thing I think about as a clinician is what's the reliability of that data? And it seems to me that a lot of it, I, as a clini- as clinicians, we think about that stuff all the time. If I run an OCT, what's the positive predictive value that this is going to give me on my patient who may or may not have glaucoma? But um, But... Do you get the sense that consumers/slash patients uh, in this sort of new healthcare realm? Do you get the sense that they don't really care about that? Because it didn't seem like the validity of those numbers ever came up in his article. It was just that they are numbers, and he can access them, and they are in fact reliable. How does that all come into play?
1: Well, in my opinion, this is this is kind of like a you know a pendulum, and and I think that this guy has jumped on the pendulum, and he's swinging. You know pretty far one way and um uh and i and I think that's where you know um almost with anything new, there's early adapters, and when the early adapters find out that uh gee whiz maybe maybe there's um you know not as much value as they think from what they're adapting to, then they kind of swing back toward the norm, and I think probably somewhere in the middle. Um, beyond the norm that we have now, and yet not so far out as the early adapters want to swing, I think that that's kind of where this is going to end. So just in my opinion, there will be technology that is going to get better and better and better. Um, You know, I'm a whole lot older than you are, Chris. And so uh, I never thought in a million years when I graduated optometry school that I would be able to look at a retina and within five microns of of uh, you know specificity, be able to look at the layers and and uh, you know look at different um, uh, drusens and and uh, uh, leakages and um, retinopathies and you know choroidopathies and I, I mean there's just no way it just blew blows the mind. And so also you think back just not, not too many years ago. I mean, 10 or 11 years ago, um, the iPhone was invented. And, and look where we are today. You know, we have I, iPhone 10 now or 10X or whatever it's called and uh, the, the multiple iterations of the Samsung device and the, the HTC and the other, other companies that sell cell phones. And, um, you know, just a few years ago, we were using flip, phone, flip phones, that had uh, really very minimal ability to text. There was no such thing as Twitter. There was no such thing as, as uh, some of these other, uh, you know, Facebook or Instagram and all those other things now. And so the, 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 just the amount of things that have happened in the past few years makes me, Think that um, you know there is going to be a point where we look at technology and say, "All right, you know the train is leaving the station and we got to get on here." And then when we get on the train, then we can figure out how to run the train. But right now, if we're standing on the on the on the platform and the train is pulling away and we can't catch up to it, then we're probably not going to catch up to it in a meaningful way. And our businesses will be hurt, and um, you know the profession will be hurt. So you know. I think that that's that's really important to understand, and and um, you know resilience to change and resistance to change are are significant things, and we need to get a hold of those two concepts and find out where we are. And I I hope that um, you know Vision Source Up Tom said I I really think um, you know the people in my group are are genuinely great doctors. And they're they're really interested in uh, you, you know kind of um, uh, learning new things, and, and I hope that, that that they join the journey, um, and and I hope that the other vision source doctors join the journey, and and I hope that optometry in general joins the journey because if not, then we may become uh, you know useless. I think in an e- in the email that accompanied this, I, I uh, um, that I sent to a few people today. Uh, mm-hmm. I, made a comment that I heard um, this past week from the CEO of a hospital that I was speaking to. And I, I was repeating his comment, and, and I questioned him on that comment. And he said, really, look, the technology is there now. And, and that is radiologists are going to become irrelevant. And um, I stopped him, and I said— Is that because of
0: AI? Excuse me, Jeff. Is that because of AI or, or algorithms that can detect things better than than they can detect— is that where it's at
1: exactly that's what he said he said the technology is there now and it's developing almost on a daily basis so that um machine learning will be able to diagnose Uh, you know, small things in, uh, by reviewing millions of records in a very short period of time that these folks may miss um, just because of human error. And the machine, once taught how to read these things, will be able to read them and read them and read them and read them. They'll be able to read them 24 seven. They'll be able to read them on Christmas day. They'll be able to read them on, you know, whatever holidays and vacation days you take off. And so, um, you know, he made that comment to me and I'm kind of parroting what he said, you know, I read him and read him and read him. And the Christmas and he, he just he just went on and on. And um, I said, uh, wow, you know, uh, yeah, this is happening now. We we didn't talk much else about, um, you know. Uh, technology because we had other things to discuss. But, um, you know, I made the comment to him about things that are changing because his hospital is actually merging with another one. And, um, and I said, wow, that is a leap, uh, you know, for the people in this area to see this bigger hospital kind of, you know, um, merge with, the, with your hospital. And he said, yeah, you know, and frankly, I'm out of a job. <laughs> so um, it was very, very interesting.
0: So let me so we'll take it up from from there do you think Jeff that the so you said we're at the train station but i think actually the train is left and one of the cha- challenges that i see is you know from a from a state government relations committee standpoint what we've seen is there's really this dichotomy of what the perception what the public's perception public as in terms of patients and public in terms of doctors what their perception is that optometric telehealth services can do. And there's this kind of blurring of lines. So on the one end, you have the companies that are basically refilling glasses and contact lens prescriptions. And they're doing it by some mechanism of a visual acuity chart. And then they put patients through this whole rigmarole that, that seemingly makes some sense and maybe adds a little bit of minus and changes some cylindrical axes a little bit but um it's it's essentially um the perception is that that's what telehealth services are for our profession that's really in my opinion not telehealth i think i think it's distinctly different than telehealth for a number of reasons. One, I view telehealth as an expansion of our ability to have patients access our services um, or also allowing us to extend certain things to our patients. But the real crux of it is, is that in my mind, and this really comes from the Federation of State Medical Boards, is that telehealth services really ought to augment the Services that a patient is already getting or can obtain from a provider that they're either have or going to have a relationship with, so I think there's this idea that in many of our practices that telehealth is bad because of what it has done, what we see from a refractive side and sort of this uh, online retail side of 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 um, quote unquote eye care or refractive care. And then there's this whole other side of of telehealth services, very similar to the article that you referenced before, where um, there there could be one the idea that I could actually monitor patients from their home with maybe let's say intraocular pressures, or we're watching a um, corneal finding. Corneal for, you know, corneal uh, healing from an ulcer, and we might want to know how that patient is doing in the evening versus when we saw them in the morning, right? We may not want to go a whole 24 hours on them. Or we could even monitor that more closely where the device actually maps out the ulcer and can figure out the depth of that ulcer and kind of give us feedback. I mean, you know, the, the sky's the limit, so to speak. And to me, that would seem like a very good use of telehealth services. But even more basically than that, so so I guess the question is, do you feel like people have a, a full understanding of the differences between them and that's why they're sort of resistant to um, to having these discussions? Or do you feel like they're just sort of burying their heads in the sand in general?
1: You know, I think that this goes to, um, you know, I, I I think what you have just said so eloquently, Is a uh, best case defense for uh, medical optometry and providing extended care to patients in a way that is greater than what can be received in the office during the normal business hours, and I think that that is a home run. However, uh, in my opinion, um, and then going back to the pendulum thing, that's not the shiny penny. Uh, The shiny penny right now to I think that people who are uninformed and and those. Who are probably outside our profession, and maybe perhaps even the, the medical profession, and in, in you know greater uh, as a whole, um, would perceive and believe what you say but the shiny penny is I can get something faster, quicker, cheaper, and I'm going to jump on it because, um, our society has been conditioned to, I want it now. Um, and I, uh, you know, and it better be a be really tasty or really fancy or really loud or really clear or really something, or else I'm just going to reject it and never use that again. I'll get on Yelp and I'll, I'll, uh, or whatever, um, you know, feedback service and I'll give it a zero or one star or whatever. So, um, I think that this is where uh, the people who are in the driver's seat of the profession are going to have to really say, you know, this is an opportunity. So, uh, you know, in in my mind, um, most problems don't exist. they are opportunities to succeed. And but that that success is only by you know uh, the leaders who are pensive and deliberate and and really take the time to dissect the problem and and understand that uh, providing value and uh, as as uh, one of my mentors Harvey Hanlon says what's good for the patient is good for the practice and so what you detailed earlier was just that. How you can extend maybe a corneal follow-up from a person who presented with an ulcer, um, how you can monitor somebody's uh, you know glaucoma measurements at at uh, you know seven o'clock at night or or you know uh, whenever uh, on weekends or, or whatever if you're concerned about 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 that and and you need more information mm-hmm. so you can make treatment decisions. Um, there There are certainly other things, but the re- refractive error to the general public is is where we need to uh, you know, is where the shiny penny is focused contrast that with with people who are you know um, looking especially in the bigger cities with um, uh, things that we can control and that would be uh, you know things like myopia control and uh, the new medicine was just uh, you know announced um, I can't remember the name right now but it's a weaker atropine uh, you know and it comes in micro drops and uh, you know all those things uh, are are stuff that that we need to hone in on and find out ways uh, you know vision therapy is going to be could be remote but most likely you're Is still going to have to have visits or monitoring it and and other things. And I'm not not poo-pooing refractive care because that is part of our business. That's part of the uh, uh, the the bricks that build our foundation. But I think that we need to look at um, holistically where we can find ways to adapt to the change where it's needed and chase that a little bit, but also uh, allow the technology to present an opportunity to us.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think. You know, on the one end, you're we're challenged because historically, as a profession, uh, and still in many in in many of the public's eyes, unfortunately, or you know whether it reflects reality or does not reflect reality, in many of our practices, um, the public views largely what optometrists do, and even ophthalmologists that they are prescribing glasses and contact lenses, and so the shiny penny right now is how can I get that. Uh, at a At a lower cost, and especially if we haven 't been doing a good job as as practitioners in communicating with our patients about the fact that yes we 're doing this and but we 're also doing all of these other things, and that 's what 's really important that 's the real value and if we haven 't ever been doing that or we 've sort of been um, and not that we haven 't been ever doing that, but if we we 've been looking at it and not. Letting a patient know that we're looking at it over time, constantly, constantly, year after year after year, communicating that to patients, then it's easy for them to think that the one thing we do is the one thing that we can change that makes their life immediately better or clearer. And so, I think one question I have is: How do we get beyond? Um, how do we get beyond that? And uh, and can the profession get beyond that by and large? Or is it just going to be a few, you know, a very smaller proportion of us, whether that's within Vision Source or largely Vision Source, and maybe some other people outside of Vision Source that that get this, that really get beyond that. Because I still think there's so many of us, um, even when we're doing some medical, um, that's all that's secondary. It becomes secondary to the, the refractive care, as opposed to I'm seeing a shift from a lot of these guys I, I really respect. Is that it's not just a shift now, but it's this it's it's primarily medical, and then if we can if we know the patient's healthy, we can always make them see well uh, and if they're not healthy, we know how to make them see better uh, so I guess the question I would have is how do we get beyond that shiny penny for the public and can we at this point
1: Well again, uh, you know this is an opportunity for us to shine and to take some of the shine off the penny penny and put it back on ourselves. Um, uh, there's, you know, this, this takes, um, dedication and massive education, dedication that we're going to educate the public. We're going to redouble our efforts, um, on, uh, you know, community outreach. We're going to do the things we need to do to market our practices in the best way. Uh, we're going to really uh, take a look at, um, and almost do like a, you know, uh, a, um, as, a uh, Back in the '70s, there was uh, uh, Deming's um, uh, Total Quality Management, and uh, then there's been the, the following things with Six Sigma and, and all those things. And I'm not saying they have to, you know, do those type of programs in your practice, but you have to respect the structure and uh, and the, the structure of uh, understanding that there is, um, you know, a method to the madness, and the method takes effort, and it takes big effort, because not only, you know, are we uh, you know the fighting the trends and and the you know some of the thoughts of of uh, the millennial generation and and maybe the next generation behind them that wanted it here want it now and wanted it yesterday before they even thought of it um, I think we really just need to 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 take a step back, evaluate where we are, what our priorities are as a as a profession and uh and hopefully come to a common ground and and move forward however you know so much of of the profession is is centered around uh, like you said refractive care and um, and, and you know uh, free eye exam and you know two pair for 99 and that kind of stuff and so that's already out there and and i think that if we um you know, continue to uh, work toward education, then maybe that becomes less significant of of a situation. Uh, I'm not sure, but it's going to take a massive amount of heavy lifting, or there are going to be practices that just don't survive. And and I think that that's um, that's you know, sad to say, but I think it's going to be that way. And some of them may be in the more, you know, commercial locations that that either will be pushed toward this telemedicine type stuff, or they're going to uh, be in the private practices that just, um, you know, unfortunately have their heads in the sand and uh, they're going to be standing there at the station, waiting for the next train. The next train's never going to come.
0: You know, I was, um, I was, I got an email, uh, I'm on the listserv from the um, glaucoma SIG uh, for the American Academy of Optometry. And there was a recent study that just came out that was comparing the prescribing habits for ocular hypotensive medications for optometry versus ophthalmology. And just in reading the abstract of the study, you could take that to be a little bit, as we've seen some of these studies with that ophthalmology is pushed out is... Uh, a little bit slanted toward, um, toward, away from optometric care, but but the real way that I read the study is is just what you're saying. What the study sat, found and showed was is basically the data that we've seen from pharmaceutical companies is that, um, and I've seen a, a variation. But when you look at let's say glaucoma medications. Of the 40,000 and some ish ODs that practice across the country right now, about 10,000 of them actually write prescriptions, more than five prescriptions. I mean, anything significant for a hypotensive medication every year. And, you know, then when you look at just like the top third of prescribers, so if you broke down all the prescriptions, any hypotensive medication, if you broke that down, I know I'm not saying it exactly right, but if you broke down, all of those medications written into one third, which exists of about 400,000 prescriptions. Um, The top like 2,500 optometrists are writing the first 400,000 prescriptions. And to get to the next third, to get the next 400,000 prescriptions, it takes about uh, somewhere between like five and 6,000 optometrists. And then to get the last 400,000 prescriptions, it's, it's, you know, 22,000 optometrists or something like that. So uh, the study was basically echoing what we already know. But I think that's, I I say all that to say that, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is going to be this, if you haven't already undertaken this idea that you've got to manage medical diseases in your practice, uh, and it can't be the secondary afterthought, then you you're you're gonna be replaceable and disposable by some of these other things, technologies that are available right now. And um and it, it's sobering when you actually see that data. I'm not sure if you've if you've seen it recently, but when I looked at that the first time, I I had to I had to ask three or four different questions, like, well, tell me about this. What does this mean? And and it's actually true not just for glaucoma medications. It's true for um dry eye medications. It's true for allergy medications. And um And so that's kind of troubling, um, especially because throughout my entire, you know, I've been either in school or in practice for about 15 years. uh, And this has been something that I've heard for 15 years. And I'm certain that if I went back and read, read journals from the 90s, it would still be talking about embracing the medical model. And yet here we are, you know, 20, 30 years after that there's still a significant portion of our doctors that have just chosen to, uh, and when I say our doctors, I mean optometrists across the country that have just chosen to continue to provide refractive care, it, which is, again, totally fine, but that puts us in a place that um, makes it a challenge for them, I suspect. And so the, the question I, I really have is if we bring that back to some of your other, um, and I've got a couple other questions on this too, but if we bring that to how do we communicate value Uh, to ACOs and also be able to utilize some of these other newer technologies? And how do you think ACOs are going to... And other payers, CMS could be one of them. What do you think they're going to do with this data uh, and the fact that patients want this other type of care? What do you see happening with that? Especially because of your history with ACOs, and and you can give a little bit more background there if you want. I know that uh, Dave Cabin who we just, uh, his podcast just released or my discussion with him just released today. So we talked a little bit about what you've been doing in Delaware, but can you kind of relate what you're doing in Delaware to how you think that might apply to uh, taking over some of these other services where they're trying to drive the cost down?
1: Well, um, you know, uh, thank you for that question, because I I think that that's really interesting. And I think that uh, maybe all of us need to, to uh, understand a little bit the dynamic and what, um, you know, what an ACO does. So my uh, relationship with the ACO has been primarily on the business side and trying to convince uh, the ACO that we have uh, significant value to offer to their their membership so that they will in turn use our services because we provide value. And um, it is very clear to me that, um, you know, they are very good at parenting. The standard line is patient care, patient care, quality care, quality care. But once you get past those first few, you know, um, platitudes about patient care and quality care, the, the the next 5,000 lines that they speak are about bending the cost curve, saving money, uh, you know, and, and that's, that is just it. So, um, so that in itself to, you know, takes education. So the, the um, one of the things that, that I think has just been not evolutionary, but revolutionary to optometry is this, uh, you know, Snepton deal with the ED avoidance uh, study. And I, and I think that, that, you know uh dave has done a wonderful job and uh dorothy Hitchmoth too to um try to uh you know exp- to try to to get uh the the, um, the 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 80% of the optometrists who refuse to believe that change is happening and the 20%, like you were describing a bit of the Pareto principle where 80% of the people do the, you know, or the followers and 20% of the people who do the work, like the, uh, you know, you were citing those statistics about the glaucoma stuff. Um, And and I think that the 20% are really the leaders in the profession. And and so maybe it's time for the leaders to, you know, step out of their box and say, okay, you know, now um, uh, I'm a leader because I want to be. I'm a leader because I can. I'm a leader because of, uh, you know, whatever reason you're a leader and actually – Develop some followers and and use your, your persuasive power of of goodness and empathy toward toward others to um, you know have a, an understanding or a, or a discussion with uh, with folks who maybe are not jumping on um, because I think this is an all hands on deck type of thing um, the the, the uh, you know the uh, uh, the Allidades of the world are a business plain and simple and their their mission is to is to provide quality care. But bend the bend the cost curve uh, and they are all over that. The, you know, one of their number one number one of their number one fees is is retinal injections and the other is diabetic care. And, and we have been very, very successful in, um, you know, convincing um, or at least outlining the reasons why retinologists should use or should, um, you know, not. Uh, rule out using the lower cost evastin uh, versus the others uh, when when considering injecting and um, uh, the 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 change in behavior uh, I think was in part due to uh, some of the things that um, you know I said in after conversations to these retinal practices in that I reminded them that they're being tracked on everything that they do and uh, they are statistic. And if if they do not want to become irrelevant, then they will look at what the research reports say, what the published studies say, and provide value where they can. At, a, at you know, providing value just in their care, but also providing value to the medical system by choosing a medicine that will work just as good for those specific circumstances. And when so, I say.
0: Said- just yeah, real quick, Jeff, um, I want to I take a little bit of a step back for our listeners who didn't hear my discussion with David uh, last, well, last week, essentially, when, when they'll be listening to this. And um, and w- so you were able to, through Allidade, through your relationship with that ACO um, in the northeastern portion of the United States, they, their biggest cost uh, issue was injections from retinal specialists and you were able to go in with some of these retinal specialists that you knew and discuss potentially using if clinically equivalent a more cost effective medication which would be avastin can i ask you then what what was that discussion like when when you asked them were you talking about the reasons they weren't like did they give you the reasons they weren't you they were using ilea or lucentis over avastin or did you find that it was largely the sim, you know a same type of uh, thing that you would expect from anybody else there wasn't much headiness to it it was just well this is the one i use because of i mean what was your experience in talking to them about that
1: i think that uh you know this all goes uh or or certainly part of it goes to um you know some of the commercials you see on tv not necessarily for eye injectables but for others and then whenever uh you know one or two friends in a friends group has success with uh you know ilea then they tell their, their, um, you know, friends and those friends say, no, I want what, you know, John has injected into his eyes because it's working for him and it's saving his sight and it happens to be ILEA. So I think that that's, that's part of it. And so that was, you know, and, and gee whiz, it doesn't cost the retinal specialist anymore. I mean, it does upfront, I guess, but they get the reimbursement plus whatever bonus they make on that or whatever. Um, I don't, I don't want to say bonus cause that may be the wrong word, but, uh, whatever, whatever cost, uh, differential they get for using that, um, medicine. And, uh, and, 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 so then Avastin was left behind. The The second part of that is, is that what you said previously, and that is, look, this is what I use. You know, it's, it's the hottest, the newest thing. It's, it's proven effective for all cases. And so I don't need to segment my care. I'm using, uh, I, Ilea, I'm using Lucentis and that's it. End of story done. And we're moving on. Um, However, when, whenever presented with the statistics, it was stunning. One retinal practice was using zero, zero percent, not considered at no, Dave Zero, zero. And, um, you know, after I want to say, um, you know, six to eight months, uh, they were using 14 percent. And um, and I think the reason was is because uh, you know not so much that they wanted to change their way of treating patients. Uh, I think that they were aware that they were being tracked and they may become irrelevant and a non. Source of referrals, and so they quickly um, i think changed their mind and um, and and not to the detriment of patients at all. I think that, that you know whenever they found it um, you know clinically clinically equivalent, they did what they needed to do and and moved the needle And fourteen percent of a big number is a big number, and the other practice went from five percent to uh, around fifteen. Um, So, again, you know, a 10% increase uh, of, of, you know, patients, they they do injections all day long every day, two or three of them, four of them, or how many are in their retina practice. Wow think about that, that is huge money and it falls right to the bottom line of the ACO and savings. And so that's the kind of stuff. The diabetic care was another thing. So, you know, these are the things where, where, you know, statistics uh, and, and tracking numbers, um, you know, and, and I, I sometimes wonder about these, these big numbers that Snepton is putting out and, you know, um, if they're pretty generous with their comparisons. Um, but, um, you know, I, I was, you know, just in a in a uh, auto accident uh, the last week, and and um, oh uh, well, we had a little snow, and you know, so some guy just with bald tires and an old pickup truck just just jammed me, and luckily I was, you know, hit the rear end of the car more than the front end, and everybody's and, uh, okay then. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went to the emergency room and um uh, because I was, you know, uh, the airbag went off and I lost my hearing for a couple hours. But uh in any event, um so I went to the emergency room and and we got the bill and and um you know I saw the doctor for three minutes. Um I had an x-ray of my shoulder and neck, um and that was sixteen hundred dollars. That is not including, not including the physician fees. We got a separate uh, letter in the mail um, today and said, Oh, by the way, please provide your insurance number. We're a private contractor with the emergency room department at the hospital and we need to, tr- we need to get that so we can send them a bill. So, you know, you look at that and go, Wow. That's uh, that's amazing. So when you see that optometrists can provide, you know, it's probably closer to now $180 million worth of savings and only surprisingly and, and quite honestly, disappointingly, um, you know, one-third of the vision source offices are, are doing this or maybe even a little bit less than that. And and uh, we could really make those numbers sing. So whenever I had uh, a, a lunch uh, uh You know, meeting with the executive director for uh, you know, just in passing, I said, oh, by the way, we're doing this study, and the study is about emergency room uh, avoidance for eye conditions, and he went, really? Uh, will you share the data? And I said, well, it's just starting, you know, so give us a few months. And, and, uh, you know, so he called me, I mean, he put it in his calendar, and he called me like three months, and he goes, Okay, uh, are you willing to share? And I said, Sure. So I called up uh, Mike Stein Kraus, And I said, Look, this guy's looking for some numbers. Can you help us? He goes, uh, yeah, let me throw some things together. And, and I mean, he didn't say throw some things together because I, I don't right. want to cheat the service at all. He's such a great guy. But, um, you know, he said, look, give me some time to put this together and, and, uh, then run it through the channels to make sure that I can release this. And, and it was, it was stunning. I was, I was shocked. We have six practices, uh, in Delaware doing this and we've, we've saved north. Of seven hundred thousand dollars, and that's crazy money. So yep. whenever uh, those uh, guys get a hold of this stuff, they say, "Wow," and um, you know, then then now now we process back to the marketing team, and so we had a, uh, a marketing individual um, who was you know supposed to work with us and help us develop the relationships with the physicians, and I uh, invited her to our uh, uh, office, and um, and I told uh the other practitioners in our office that look you know this is the show so we're on stage now for the next hour and a half and uh, we need to make this sing and so what we're going to do is not allow her to sit down until she sits in front of a camera until she sits in front of an oct and we do an oct so she understands what the, what the visual field does so she so we show her the topographer and we show her the you know this that and the other thing and and uh, and she left there um like with the biggest smile on her face and said, like, I, I got I to tell everybody about this. This is, this is amazing. And, and that goes back to what you said initially, back when we started this, uh, our conversation. And that is, how, how is it, with all the change occurring, do we provide value? And, um, if we don't provide value, we become irrelevant. And by doing things like that, and that goes back to marketing our practices in the 20% of the people who are leaders in our profession, reaching out to the other 80% and, and just having a frank conversation say, look, you know, this is the way it's going. And, um, and and it's irrefutable. You can you can pull up the articles that I sent you, the the uh you know, it's time to fire your doctor, or the other thing I sent you uh later this afternoon mm-hmm. and uh, and these changes are occurring. And so, you know, the the people who are resistant to change um, you know, they're going to get stampeded in some way and and you know their practice is going to suffer. But for us, uh, hopefully we can continue to, to, uh, you know, provide the care on the glaucoma side and, and ramp that up. Um, you know, uh, and, and you know, and even it's, it's a, um, it's a statistical numbers game too. There are fewer and fewer ophthalmologists. A lot of the ophthalmologists are older. They're, they're not producing maybe the numbers that they need to produce for, for the demographics that are going to age over the next 20 years or so. And so there's going to be a whole lot of cataract surgeries done and a whole lot of retinal injections done by fewer and fewer ophthalmologists. And so that means that the care should shift rightfully so, to highly trained specialist optometrists. And, um, you know, those of, of us who have sought the extra training, those of us who provide that service in our offices are going to be valued. And those of us that don't are going to be le- left selling glasses to no one because they're going to get it from another source, uh, maybe a cheaper source. Now, the refractive care will still be a part of it. And that goes back to the myopia control and other things. Uh, and, and uh, you know, especially fit contact lenses for, you know, the uh, high myopes, the corneal grafts and the keratocones and the, those type of things. Um, but it, I, I feel that that part of our business is probably going to be diminished, um,
2: you know, at least a little and, and maybe even significantly.
0: Do you think, do you think Jeff, um sorry to interrupt. That's right. Do you think, I want to kind of take a little bit of a step back because um I, I want to kind of demystify some of these relationships that people will develop with um some of these people within a c o so mostly when I started these podcasts, it was for Nebraska and South Dakota members, but I'm quickly realizing that this can be a that our discussions apply to docs all across the country so give me a sense of. What did you do? Kind of what was the steps that allowed you to sort of become involved with Alidaid and, and be at the table as opposed to what we commonly hear on the menu. So how describe that process for me. So I think, I think that can be very helpful.
1: I received a phone call from Jim Greenwood and he said, uh, what do you know about Allidate in in Delaware? And I said, well um, you know, If this is the ACO that I'm thinking of, um, you know, they're just just opening up. And he said, yeah, well, I was at a conference and, and, you know, and I had a conversation with uh, one or two of the executives. And, and, you know, they're um, seeking private practice, um, uh, primary care doctors, internal medicine folks and and the like um, to, um, you know, uh, provide. A care in a unified way and they're trying to you know build their business model and it is really very synergistic with uh, vision source would you mind having a conversation with them and i said absolutely delighted you know that's just wonderful so they called and and uh, we had a conversation paul williams jim greenwood and i were on a conference call with the allidate team and um you know they started listing their goals and um i just happened to say on one of their primary goals, uh, at least their two eye, eye goals were a diabetic eye care. That was one of their primary, um, you know, clinical, uh, practice goals. And the second was, um, and was the retinal, uh, you know, piece, even though the retina was more valuable to them from a, an economic standpoint, but diabetics are more prevalent. So, um, We talked about the diabetic uh, form, and and we talked about having you know 24 uh, hour uh, you know feedback to their uh, guaranteed 24 hour feedback to their practitioners, and and, um, you know ease of uh, access and um, you know late night uh, late not late night but the evening scheduling, um, you know and, and those type of expanded hours and you know, so access was taken care of. And then during the retina piece, they um, said, you know, we're really trying to bend this because this is, this is just crushing us and we're not going to be able to deliver to our members, um, you know, a, 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 a check at the end of the year because we're getting eaten up by these retina things. And I said, well, you know, I have a lot of retinal doctors that um you know are uh, uh, have have over the years become friends and um i'd be happy to set up a meeting if you think
2: that'd be helpful and they said really <laughs> and i said well um sure that's one of your needs and maybe i can
1: help you meet your need said, well uh wow uh, when can you do that and i said well um you know let's get together on schedules and we'll see what we can do and so you know, it worked out and, uh, and we had, um, you know, evening meetings where I was there and, uh, um, you know, the retina doctors, um, sometime in the evening would say, look across the table from me and go, Jeff, what, why, why are you here? What, how, how what, what's your piece in this? You know?
0: <laughs> and I said, well, they're, you know, they're I thinking don't... that you're going to get some sort of kickback from it, right? They're, well, they're wondering yeah, why well, you were there you, know, you like,
1: know no 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 I don't I don't think they had any any uh negative motives and uh, maybe okay. I used the wrong you know intonation in my voice but they were just going out like okay how do you they're talking about their their ACO and primary oh, care right. physicians internal medicines and and where where did where are you Jeff in optometry and the, and I I told them the vision source story and I told them the story about you know um you know bending the cost curve and the value and and uh, and that I had a, a not only a professional relationship with uh with several uh retina practices but also a personal relationship that developed over the years and in, in truly caring for patients and and uh, you know referring this and then the, the, those folks coming back and we're providing the care that um you know that they need on the other end when those guys uh, you know were Either finished or in, you know, monitoring and those type of things, Um, and so uh, there was a a mutual respect. And so when I told them, they said, "Oh, wow, that's pretty neat." And then my follow up call to them a few days later was to remind them that um, you know they're being watched and their statistics. And and I guess these guys are so busy uh, doing that type of stuff. Uh, their retina uh, practices, but they really hadn't thought about, you know, who's tracking what. And and they weren't really aware so much that, that CMS was really, you know, engaged in their numbers and, and um, you know, how much they were cost per patient and those type of things so that was uh, a bit of a revelation and and i think that um you know the whole picture that alidade presented was valuable and then you know what i provided i hope was valuable to them and i think now that um they they understand that value and and uh, we moved on from
0: there
2: so well, that had made you know us uh, valuable to them to the aco
0: do you th- do you think that so what's your speculation or maybe you know more because sometimes these things take a little bit of time to to move. do you think a c o s talk among each other, and if so, do you see this these kinds of relationships spreading across the country, or is it is it going to be sort of this one-off basis where you're going to have to have the right connection uh, in one specific area to be able to move the needle?
1: Well, if we can go back to you know a foundation of facts. And and um, and this is what I think, and this is really the importance of uh, you know what Vision Source has done, um, you know, to foster relationships with uh, SNAP, and, and also to be on the uh, you know the tip of the spear of organizing and standardizing um, you know diabetic reporting, and also hopefully insisting that practices within 24 hours, uh, you know. Uh, get, get the information back to the, uh, referring physician or the family physician, if they're not referring, if they're co-patients already, you know, to get that information so that they can see the value of, of us in the marketplace. So, you know, I think it's, it, it all comes down to, um, you know, providing, providing value and, and making sense. And, you know, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but, um, you know I, I, think well, I guess
0: i guess I'm just wondering if if you see if you've seen now that you've been able to do some of these things for Alidaid, um have other a c o s Stepped up and said, "Wait, we want we want this too." It would seem to me that and maybe they don't talk. Maybe they look at each other like competitors. Where you know, within our vision source network, we look at like, well, if we if everybody's doing better, then a rising tide raises all ships, and so that just it elevates the the care that everybody's providing and what and what patients expect out of our practices. And maybe I'm just assuming that ACOS are the same way. Maybe they're maybe they're competitors, so they want to keep what you've done for them, you know, kind of locked in a in a box. But I'm just trying to think, how do we expand this? How do we tell the story so that we can have, you know, Allidades across the country, so to speak, that we're bending the cost curve down? And that's the real power of our network.
1: Well, I think that, um, you know, my experience has been that perhaps at conferences, they get together and, and discuss generalities. That's maybe my, you know, my gist of, of what is going on inside the ACO. But honestly, they're doing their own thing and and so if you flip that switch and say okay uh what opportunity does the information that we have the value that we've already established in the in the marketplace how do we go about that and so you know um just just start dialing for dollars and and I, you know i mean that's a that's a very trite saying but uh I uh, got in contact, I tried to make contact with, um, and it's taken me now, uh, last Friday I had a conversation with uh, uh, the hospital uh, CEO that I was talking about earlier, and Mm -hmm. um, it has taken me a year and a half for us to have, this is our second conversation, the first one was non-substantive, he was involved in so much stuff, he just said, quite honestly, my plate is full, you know, your concept sounds great. And I'd like some more information and hopefully we can talk again and, uh, you know, data, 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 and then zero radio silence for a long time. A few emails here and there. How are you doing, Steve? Good to, you know, hopefully you're still thinking of us and I hope we can get together soon. And, and uh, finally, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of my goals for the start of the year was to, is to re-engage with this guy because not only is he a member of, uh, he's the CEO of his hospital, but also, uh, the five of the biggest hospitals in Delaware have linked together to form an ACO, and so um, I sent him some information that uh, the Donna and uh, Paul Williams provided, um, and then I had a conversation with him, and I could tell that he really didn't look at the slide deck I showed I, I sent to him, but I, I wanted to um, you know talk about the uh, Mercy Room department, and here's what he said to lead off the conversation after he spoke about the radiologist. He said, Jeff, we got to find a way to bend the cost curve. Wow. Okay, we have heard that before, Allidate. And, um, Jeff, we have to uh, keep people out of the hospital. Jeff, we have to keep people out of the emergency room department. And I said, um, you know, Steve, really that's one of the reasons why uh, um, I tried to get Uh, a hold of you today and and I appreciate your time. And uh, so let me, let me tell you some of the statistics that we've done in
2: little old Delaware and throughout the nation with our vision source network. And he said, wow. um, Gee whiz. So here's what he told me he was going to do. I'm going to have a meeting with um, uh, their medical director uh, for their, for their ACO inside uh, the, the hospital. Which is a
1: larger part of this five thing, five uh, hospital ACO, and he told me that he was going to um, try to arrange a meeting with me and the big guy at the at the top of the food chain, at the five um, who's who's the CEO of the big uh, five hospital member and all the you know feeder uh, offices and p- medical pavilions and all that kind of stuff that feed into these these hospitals. So I'm hoping that that takes place, you know, uh, within the next couple months or couple weeks. I'm not sure when, but I'll, I'll stay, you know, uh, vigilant on that and hopefully we'll get that, get that done. So do the ACOs talk to themselves and, you know, talk amongst themselves? I don't think they do. Um, May they share data from a common data place and and know who's profitable and who's making some money. Um, you know, I don't even know that. And really, honestly, that's probably a too deep a question for me to get into their business about. <laughs> but but what I do know is is that we can prove right now, we can prove today that we're providing value in the marketplace. And if we do that, then that at least gets us, uh, uh, you know, to the door. And and then it's 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 up to um, you know us to provide uh, the, the, um, you know, the, uh, spark of interest, if you will, by saying, look, you know, We've got all these docs. They have all these great equipment. They, they're very knowledgeable. They're highly trained. Uh, um, they're, they're willing to see extra patients. They're, they're, uh, you know, have, have uh, great office hours, uh, that, that, you know, have extended into the evening on, you know, one day, maybe two days a week. And, and so here we are and we, we will provide this diabetic stuff and we have a network of retinal, uh, specialists and those retinal specialists have already been cued into, um, you know, the cost savings that, uh, that can be provided. Uh, because they are are uh, using the lower cost medicines when appropriate, and um, you know that's who we are, and that's why we that's why you need to partner with us because we're already doing this, and no other group is doing it. End of story. You know when can we start? And um, you know and we've started some of those conversations um, at least with with this fellow, and I hope it I hope it goes goes further. And so I'm you know looking for other other ways to uh, you know provide value. Going back to David, if I can, for just a second, one of the yeah. things that this has come to is that their are their specialist who's um, assigned to Vision Source, if you will, in a way, she's a, she's a specialist outreach coordinator, and uh, specialists would be cardiologists, optometrists, um, you, you know, gastroenterologists, and and those guys on their team, and um, uh, so so we are we are part of that. And, uh, she shot me an email, um, the other day and said, look, there's, there's a company called MedExpress. And, um, you know, I had a talk with their, uh, uh, leaders in, in Delaware and, um, they're wondering if you would, you know, want to have a conversation about
2: providing, um, you know, more urgent eye care to, uh, to their patients. Boom. So uh, at yeah. the end of the month, I've got a conversation
1: set up with uh, two of their executives from um, from Delaware. And, uh, you know, that's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm finding and I've said this to many of, of my guests is that I'm just finding that, again, part of the reason I want to have these conversations is because we get some of these stories out and it just shows the power. I mean, there's I know that there's there's. Providers ODs across the country that have these relationships with people that they just don't they just don't know how to articulate the value that we that we can present to them, but they have relationships because they know somebody or they've they've met them through these other networks, um, and. But they but now we finally have the tools to be able to use to be able to take that conversation from the theoretical and actually show the practical value of what we can do, and just like what you're saying has happened with Alidade, and then that turned into what you could do for Alidade with from from an e d avoidance and from a diabetes standpoint, and then transitioned into um what you've been able to do with the retinal specialists and driving the cost curve down and now into some of the more acute care. Um, so I think, I think that your story allows hopefully our listeners to understand that when you do have these relationships, you now have, you can, you can use that, those relationships, not in a, not in a, like a dirty way, but you can actually have data that can back you up through what Source has aggregated with Snepton. And obviously through their administrators, we can put them in contact with the right people so that they can get that. Uh, so that we can have those meaningful conversations, and then translate it into um, additional, potentially exclusive contracts, and and other uh, mutually beneficial patients, or not even mutually beneficial, but I guess a three, uh, you know, a, a beneficial relationship between the patients, the optometrist providers, and and these ACOs. Uh, and and I'm hoping that that's what what our listeners get out of of this conversation. Last question for you, Jeff. Um, is we're going to take this kind of full circle back to our initial conversation about uh, not just controlling costs but I think it it has the potential to do that but one of the things that you and I have have been through with um within some of our administrator meetings is this idea that what do we do with practices specifically? And this may not be relevant to Delaware, but it certainly is in in the Midwest where we have large rural populations and, and a lot of those populations are shrinking and they're also uh, supplied by doctors who are ready to retire. And unfortunately, many uh, young ODs don't want to go back to these areas. I, I always think, you know, I, I went to school in Oklahoma and, and I always tell people if I didn't have a place to come back in Omaha, as much as I love Nebraska, I probably would have stayed in rural Oklahoma. Um, now I can say that I I get to live in Omaha, which is a, a pretty large, um, medium sized city, I guess is probably what you'd call it. But, um, but I talk to students now and I, I look at the, there's practices across, across Nebraska that, um, I think are, just areas you just completely thrive. And these doctors are ready to close the doors because they can't, it's been years for them to try to bring somebody in. And I say all that to to say, you know, the article, the second article that you sent me, and again, I'll put this in the show notes um, so people can read it. But the second article you sent me was a company that sees um, Dallas and Houston as areas prime for expansion to deliver solely telehealth um, services, eye care services by where what we're talking about as a patient actually comes into the door of a physical location, but has all of their refractive data, slit lamp examination, retinal photos, possibly even an OCT screener if they had the technology, uh, visual field screeners. And that gets dumped into a, you know, a medical history questionnaire and it gets dumped into um, an ehr essentially, and and the optometrists views it from a, a distant location. You could imagine that one optometrist could probably oversee the data from five or six clinics and only has to pop in for a second via video conferencing to actually communicate with the patient. Um, and so I, I say all that to say, you know one, on the one hand, wasn't it interesting that two or three years ago when we first heard about Vision Source next, and um, maybe it was two years ago, and Vision Source identified some of the communities that were growing so fast that we needed to have private practice in those communities. And w- did you notice this at all that one of those communities was the number one in the whole co- country? This entity uh, that's going to bring their services is Dallas. And two years ago, Vision Source saw that as an area that we needed to have more eye care providers. So that, that was really interesting. The second thing that I I started thinking about was okay, well, for us in, in the Midwest, I certainly am not going to leave my practice in Omaha to go serve patients in some of these very remote areas. However, the other option at this point, unfortunately, is that they are literally ready to shut down. And I'm not going to say the communities because I there's some confidential stuff, obviously, but but they are ready to close their doors. And Um, And, you know, obviously, I want a person there. I would love to have a person there. But are we to the point yet? And, And I'm thinking more and more that maybe it is the case that we're to the point where one or two of these clinics don't have to shut down, but they can have highly trained staff. You schedule a, you know, you do you have somebody that's that's taking care of all the, the primary quote unquote primary care stuff remotely and scheduling patients back for an actual physical consultation when they're actually in the office. So I guess one, are you seeing things the same things like that in Delaware, or is it too much of a, a smaller is there too much opportunity for people to want to come back there already that is not exclusively rural? And two, what do you think about that idea? Of of private practice ODs buying other private practice ODs with the intent of of serving them physically, maybe once or twice or every you know a month or every week, versus having a, a and then obviously using them themselves as extenders to to put some of these other technologies in place.
2: Well, I,
1: I think uh, first of all. Uh, you know there are some signs that uh, that that is happening in in Delaware, um, not necessarily in rural Delaware, but even in the urban areas, um, where uh, you know people are just uh, you know it's not urban enough. We have a city Wilmington, and um, uh, and really that's only the big city in Delaware. And Dover isn't really very big; it's the like state capital, but it's a small city, and um, you know people are reticent to come uh, to come to these uh, these places. So yes, it's it's uh, happening in Delaware. As far as uh, telehealth goes, I can think of at least two practices now in Delaware. Uh, one's a vision source practice that, um, you know, uh, may be, um, you know, interested in, in, um, you know, learning about how to transition their practice to something else uh, as they, as they decide to uh, retire and, and, you know, kind of, you know, wind down. Um, so I think that You know, this goes back to uh, our conversation, if we can, uh, you know, the cell phone and uh, who uses a 286 computer anymore or a 486 computer anymore. I mean, no one. So uh, the cell phone has replaced the flip phone or the the, the, uh, smartphone has replaced the the flip phone. And, um, you know, and that that flip phone or the, the cell phone, um, smartphone has, uh, you know, the capability of doing unlimited number of tasks and, and holding an unlimited number of apps almost. And with, with functions that are unbelievable. So my, my point is, 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 is the, you know, change. And, um, we have to find ways to meet the needs of our patients going to back to what Harvey says, you know, what's good for the, the patients is going to be good for the practice to leave those patients without care would be a sad, a sad thing because then we're not really sure how they're going to get care, if they're going to get care. And really, you know, um, it, it would be a shame to lose that opportunity uh, to provide good care to patients uh, because of retirement and, and people who want to be uh, be urbanized. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way the world is going. But uh, I think that we have an opportunity there to actually be faithful to our profession, be faithful to our patients and the oaths we, we all took, uh, you know, to provide great care, do no harm and, and all those other wonderful words that the, those oaths uh, were, were administered to us. Um, but I think that uh, we just need to be ready for the opportunity and, and think clearly, um, and have, and, and take leadership of those things. And, um, you know, going back to the Pareto principle, the 20% are going to be the movers and shakers and the 80% are going to be the followers. And it's up to the 20% to uh, actually lead and, uh, and, and, you know, lead with, uh, with empathy and with grace and, and, uh, with compassion to understand that, look, change is hard. Some people are stuck. And uh, they're not going to move unless we provide them significant enough reasons to do so.
0: Excellent. Well, with that, Jeff, I I really appreciate you taking the time out to to have this conversation with me, and I hope that in the future you'd be willing to to do this again. Um, as we have, I mean, I could sit and talk to you for another couple hours, I'm sure. So, uh, but I do want to be respectful of your time. Um, so so thank you so much for being on this, and um, thanks again for everything you've done for our profession, so that guys like me can practice the way that we practice. Uh, I really appreciate it.
1: Well, it's been my pleasure and uh, what an opportunity. And I thank you for doing this because I think, uh, you know, so many of the people who have been on the podcast before me have been, uh, you know, I'm humbled uh, to be included in their in their group. So it's just an awesome opportunity. And I thank you so much.